This is our last week in the series, Ties That Bind. We've been looking, we've been doing character studies in order to identify um, biblical characters and look at emotional connections that either brought them toward or away from God. Last week and this week is a study in contrasts, Judas and Peter, two individuals who fall and only one gets back up. And let's try to figure out why. If you, if in your worship folder, uh, let's follow some of clips from Peter's life. Uh, Luke chapter 22, verses 32 through 34. Jesus addresses him and says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. And he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Jesus has told the disciples that he will be betrayed and killed. And then they take this news and they decide they're going to have an argument among them as to who will be remembered to be the greatest among them. These guys were really human. Um, Peter uses this opportunity to stake his claim as MVD, most valuable disciple, and we'll be looking at that in just a sec. We'll pick that up. But let's consider what Jesus says about Satan as we kind of pass through. Um, Satan needs to ask God's permission to sift Peter. It says, Simon, Simon, Satan is asked to sift you as wheat. So Satan has to ask God to make things uncomfortable for Peter. What that means for us is with respect to children of God, Satan's activities are located squarely within the sovereign purposes of God. This is in line with what we read about in the book of Job, isn't it? When Satan didn't sneak into the heavenly council, he came. He had to ask God's permission to be able to do the things that he wanted to do to Job. And we find the same thing here, that Satan is authorized to create painful realities. It seems that surface the shallow nature of human devotion. Peter says, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And, and Satan asks and obtains permission. Can we really test that hypothesis? I'm going to put him through a couple of things that's going to expose the true nature of his devotion. Peter felt like he was wholehearted, and it wasn't very difficult to put him in a place where his lack of wholehearted devotion would be surfaced. And that seems to be Satan's role. He cannot, however, Satan cannot act on his own initiative. He must gain approval. It seems like he must ask and God allows Satan to ask because he chooses to. Because he chooses to. Not because he's forced to. Satan cannot obligate God in any way. When you put your finger on the, the pulse of the Bible relative to God and Satan, the Bible is very clear that God is monistic. It's monism. Monism means that God's in control. It's not a battle between two roughly equivalent powers. That's not the way the Bible pictures things. It pictures God being in control 
And when Satan is allowed to do something, he asks permission, permission is given, and then he can ask. Some people indicate that God is at war with Satan. As we've said before, if I'm at war with you, let's say I'm at war with you. And and I come to you and I say, um, excuse me, I'd like permission to shoot a bullet at you. If if that would be okay, and maybe maybe drop a bomb. This isn't really a war, is it? It's not a war. And that's what we find with God and Satan. It's not a war. It's not a fair fight. Satan is on a leash. And he's not allowed to do anything he wants to do. Because with respect to the children of God, Satan's activities are monitored by, conditioned by, kept within the sovereign purposes of God. We talked about briefly dualism, which is the sense that there's two roughly equivalent powers. That came from Persian religion. I talked last week about there was a couple of captivities the nation of Israel went through. One to Assyria, then to Babylon, and then to Persia. And we were talking about the different styles of those empires. The Assyrian Empire, if you equate culture to a fingerprint, the Assyrians, when they conquered people, they removed the culture of the people that they conquered. And they eliminated, they wiped out culture. They moved people out of their kingdom, then they moved people in to erase any trace of culture. Babylonians were a little bit better. They took, or a little bit more liberal, they took individuals like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They took them into Babylon. They allowed them to retain some Jewish identity, but they also inscribed some Babylonian culture and did a mix of the two. The most liberal was Persia. They paid to have the Israelites go back to Jerusalem and build the temple, build the wall. They they were very liberal. However, um, interestingly, it was Persian influence, even though they were the most liberal, that seeped into the religion of Judaism in the deepest way. Persian religion was very dualistic, which means that there was a big deity, and then there were two rival deities, one light and one dark. And Judaism went into Persian influence being monistic. God was in control. They come out, and it seems more like God's dualistic, that there's God versus Satan, and it's kind of a power struggle. That's what ends up happening. Um, but when Jesus weighs in on it, he, well, what does he seem to indicate here? Monism is God clearly in control. Dualism is God's in control, but it's kind of a fight. In terms of what Jesus indicates, he puts it right back to monism, that Simon, Simon, Satan has asked. Now, some versions say demanded. It's not demanded. You can't obligate God. So he asked. And so Jesus lands on a stake put. God the Father allowed Satan to sift Peter to accomplish his purposes. I've told you this before. My mother made pies, and we made pies back in the old. I didn't make pies. I ate the pies. But... but there was a flour. Remember the flour that that you had to put into the sifter? You know, that, that, that thing where you, you pull that thing and then it, there's the screen and then there's the thing that went on the screen and it pushed 
the pure flour through and left the crumblies up top. Remember that? Some of you remember it. Some of you, I have no idea what you're talking about. So I remember my mother making the pies, and she'd put wax paper, and she'd take the flour, the raw flour, and she'd put it in the top of the thing and sift it, and the pure stuff ended up. And then she would take, and the crumbly stuff she would throw out. And the, the refined stuff she'd use to make her pies. And what Jesus tells, tells Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan is going to do that to you. He's going to put you in a place where your good and bad is going to be separated. Now, Peter, you think you're ready to go with me both to prison and to death, and you think you're wholehearted. Satan's going to put you in something that's going to display that you're not as wholehearted as you believe you are. And that's exactly what happened. Now, what ends up happening, Satan's purposes are to bring Peter's lack of devotion to the surface. And does Satan put Peter in a position where that's accomplished? Absolutely. But what ends up happening is not the lack of devotion that ended up staying. What did God do? He did it so that the sifting process causes that self. Well, Peter had an eye problem, didn't he? An eye problem? I am ready to go with you, both to prison and to death. And he has an eye problem. And so the sifting brings that eye problem to the surface. And what God does with that, he causes Peter, and we'll see, because Peter's going to write a letter, and we're going to look at it, and it's going to show that Peter learns some things. His reliance on himself doesn't end up staying. It ends up being set aside somewhat in a purer sense of, I can't do it all. I have to have you help me to do it. I can't count on me to go both to prison and to death. Peter becomes somewhat humble. His eye problem is removed somewhat. Um, Satan didn't create, then, Peter's lack of devotion. There's a good word. I know the word I like discovered. Discovered. But think about that. Discovered. The cover removed. Peter's lack of devotion isn't created. It is discovered. Covered because the real thing, there's all kinds of cracks within Peter. He said, Look, I am ready. I don't know how these boneheads over here, you know, we're arguing about who's going to be the MVD and they're arguing who's going to be the greatest. And I don't know about these guys over here. You really got to watch this. Uh, but I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Yes, me. Yes, I'm ready. And the real thing is there are all kinds of fissures and cracks in that devotion, but Peter can't see them. He puts his finger on his spiritual pulse and says, I'm there. I'm ready. And he wasn't as ready as he thought. And Satan put him in a place where that inability was discovered. God allows Satan to sift Peter. Peter needs this to be able to strengthen his brothers because he falls Peter will be able to help other people, other brothers and sisters who fall. Interesting, it's not Peter's victories that made him most usable. Really, it's his defeats, isn't it? Well, he has to be made usable. The things that make us useful to God are not when we walk on water. Sometimes it's when we don't. 
Because the fact is, all of us deal with things where we don't follow through. We're not as wholehearted as we would like to be. And it really does help us, doesn't it? To be able to look back on Peter. To be able to see somebody who wanted to be able to follow through but is unable to do so. Do you feel the sense of kinship with Peter that I do? The sense of, I get that, Peter, and my heart is drawn to somebody like that who really wants to be wholehearted, but it's just not there. Just not there. And um, well, Peter, he says, I'll, Jesus told him, Satan has asked permission to sift you as wheat. But I prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and when you turn back, strengthen your brothers. And Peter tunes Jesus out. I don't know if this this stuff you're talking about about yeah, not doing what, but I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. The Bible tells us things about our inability to be wholehearted. We we're just not real good at it. There's one promise keeper, and that promise keeper is not sitting here. Promise keeper is sitting in heaven. We make promises and we'd like to keep our promises to God, but we don't. And Jesus tells us that. That the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Sometimes we tune that out and we think, no, I'm bulletproof. No, you're not bulletproof. None of us is bulletproof. And, and God understands that. Um, Peter tuned that out and then what ended up happening, he tuned in because again, what happens when you tune out God, and what he would say, what you end up doing is tune in yourself. Tune out, tune in. And so we read, when Jesus' followers saw, and I'm in Luke 22:45. when Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. Two guesses who that is? Anybody? They want to just throw a wild guess out who the guy is. And, and you know, I can't figure out either. Did he mean to cut the guy's ear off? Or, you know, Peter's a fisherman. He's not real good with swords. And so maybe he just, he just takes that thing. Maybe he wants to cut the guy's head off. You know, but then when the blow is landed, the guy lops an ear off. We don't know. Um, but it's Peter. And Jesus answered, no more of this. Jesus ends up saying, Peter, put down the sword. Stop. It's not what I want. Um, and he touched the man's ear and healed him. Uh, it's John that lets us know that the servant's name was Malchus and the disciple's name was Peter. Uh, Peter was claiming to be the one who will accompany Jesus to prison and to death, but he really does try. He backs up these words with action, and these, this action makes sense to Peter. He tunes in himself. Okay, if I'm going to go with him both to prison and to death, I need to be able to, to be able to wield one of these. And he gives it a whirl. Um, but it's not what Jesus has in mind. It isn't what he wills for Peter to do. And the resulting, the result of taking this action will, will set up the next step down for Peter. Um, tuning out God's voice led to tuning in his own voice, and the stage is set for him to turn from. Luke 22:54. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. And again, this is less than 12 hours after he made his claim. This is before the sun rose. 
little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. Man, <laughs> I'm not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he's a Galilean. Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. Here's a verse. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. You get that. Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And before the sun rises on a new day, Peter has to eat these words. He denies Jesus to a servant girl within hours of his claim. Um, not hard to sympathize with Peter. He had visions of acting in a heroic manner, probably even daydreamed about being able to stand by Jesus. Side. You ever daydream? Rescue a kid going across the street. You dive in front of it. Maybe I'm tipping my hand a little bit. You don't. You don't dream about things like that? Okay. We all have daydreams when we see ourselves doing heroic things. He might have had daydreams about somebody challenging Jesus and he getting up to Jesus' side and what he'd say and how he'll act. And He really believed that he had the will to go the distance. He really believed that he was wholehearted. But he wasn't. And with this series of events in your mind, very interesting. Peter ends up writing a letter. 1 Peter, look what 1 Peter 5, 8 through 10 says. With these images in your mind, listen to what Peter says. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. A couple words. An enemy, says your enemy the devil, an enemy is an adversary in a court of law, an opponent who stands against one in a trial. That's what enemy means. And as Peter thinks about Satan and the devil, what he does, that's where he depicts him acting, bringing accusations and claims against. Uh, the word devil is from a word which means to throw something across if you were all together and I have a bomb. Okay? I permission to throw a bomb. Okay? Maybe I ask your permission to attack you like Satan has to do. And so I take this thing and I throw it. And the, per the throwing the bomb will lead to a division. You'll get away from it, right? That's what the word to devil means. The word devil is a word that describes the action of lobbing something in order to divide individuals both horizontally and vertically. So here's the question. When you put these two things together, an enemy is somebody who is an opponent in a court of law. And that's also what a Satan is. A devil is somebody who throws something 
in order to divide. So you have somebody launching allegations in order to divide. How does Satan divide us from God and to divide us from one another? He throws allegations at us. He causes us to feel that God is keeping track of the things that we're doing wrong. and he, We distance from God. We back away from God. And he also causes us to distance from one another. That's what he does. That's what it means to devil, to throw at variance. He divides us from one another. He divides us from God. Satan is a divider, a sifter. Divide the good and the bad. And God allows him to do it, but overrides his purposes. Um, we're supposed to resist him. By the way, when it says that Satan is an accuser, it doesn't say he's a false accuser. It does give that sense. When Satan throws allegations, he's going to indict us for things that we are doing wrong. We do wrong things. We don't are not as wholeheartedly devoted as we might like to be. So it's not that the allegations are false. It's that God isn't throwing them. See, that's the deal that happens. We imagine that it's God who is the one that's launching these. Who do you? What kind of Christian are you? We think that comes from God. It doesn't come from God directly. It comes from the accuser, the one who tries to throw and, and create distance. Um, we're supposed to resist him, stand against him. To resist is the description of something that's solid. This thing is not going anywhere. It can stay in place. I can try to push it. It's not. That's what to resist him means. And what it's saying, you stand your ground. Stand your ground. Satan is going to try to push you away from the place that you're standing. Don't. Set your feet in. Set your jaw. Don't get pushed away. So here's the question then. Um, where does God want us to remain? If this is a place that God wants us to stand, where does God want us to stand and where does Satan want us to be moved into? Um, I think we can find some things because Peter ends up giving us some clues. Look what he says. I'm going to read it again. First Peter chapter 5. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. I think there's two things here. If, if we have a sense for when Satan wants to push us into a place where the good and bad, what does he want us to think? What does he want to do? What does it mean to stand our ground? What Peter says is know that as you stand your ground, know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. You know what I think what Peter is, is indicating here? Where you'll get pushed and where I'll get pushed, you're all alone. You're alone. Nobody does the things that you do. 
Nobody breaks the promises that you break. You think anybody's alongside you? Guess again. You're hopeless. You're isolated. You're abandoned. You find suffering is isolating, isn't it? You find that? Suffering is isolating. Being in pain makes you feel alone. It's nice to have people around because there's something about suffering that makes you feel alone. I think what 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 we find here, God wants us to stand with others. And Satan wants us, pushes us to stand alone. It says, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Any of you guys like nature shows? Nature shows, PBS, lions and stuff like that. I know it's kind of gross when they eat the things they catch. But I, I like them. That tips my hand, too. Um, if you've ever watched them, how do lions work? You ever watch a cry of lions attack a herd? You know what they do? They lie in wait. They wait for an opportune moment. And then what do they do? They charge the herd. But they're not looking to grab anything yet. They charge the herd and the herd scampers. And what, what do they try to do? They try to isolate a weak one charge them and so one veers off on its own and if you've watched the nature shows when when the one starts to veer off and then you see the lions see that one and then they go after because that is what they want to separate this one because without the companionship of the herd that one that's running alone is very vulnerable and when you're watching the shows when you're watching the videos and you see that one starts to tail off, you know this is not going to turn out well. And that's that's what I think Peter is telling us. Uh, Peter's problem began, well, when did it begin? I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. He veers away from the others, and he's all alone, chanting above the herd, I am ready. And the lion starts to look. There's one. They charge it, create a commotion. There's going to be an argument, a dispute. Who's the greatest? I'm the greatest. And then Peter sets himself out above the others. Um, and in the nature shows, when that happens, when the individual becomes isolated, you know that's the target, and the end is near. When Peter says, I, the lions take notice, and he remains on a solitary path. How many of the disciples draw swords? Only one. Peter acting alone. You see what's happening here? They rushed at the crowd, separated one off. And when somebody is alone, they're much more vulnerable. You know what it means, I think, to stand firm against the devil? Stand with someone. Stand with someone. Don't be separated out. What you're going through, I don't care what you're going through. Those type of things are being accomplished by others in the world. Now, some of you say, Mike, no, no, no. You don't know the thoughts I struggle with. You don't know the things that I promised him and haven't pulled through on. And you've got to find yourself. Resist that. People have, and it doesn't make the pain any different, but others are going through what you've gone through. And that doesn't mean you shouldn't worry about it. What it means is, you're not alone. And I think that's, that seems to be what Peter comes to understand. Um, 
with him, it's not just what he did, but how he did it. He did it alone. That made him vulnerable. And at, when he's writing this letter, he goes, stand firm knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brothers in the world. You see what happens? Peter puts himself with all the other individuals who he knows are going through the same thing. He learned his lesson. He learned his lesson. He learned when he got rushed at to go towards people, not away from them. Go towards people. Some of you need to hear that. Because you've been running away. And you've been dealing with things. And you think no one understands. And you're becoming more and more and more and more isolated. Harder to reach. Hard to get hold of. It feels safer to be on your own. But it's not safer, is it? Find someone who will listen. And sometimes Christians aren't very easy to talk to. They can have all kinds of ready answers. Don't go towards that. Go towards somebody who will listen. We'll take the time not to talk, but to listen. That's You feel less alone when you're listened to. Don't you find that? You go to somebody, and if you get just talked at, you feel just as alone when somebody takes the time to sit down and listen. You don't feel so alone, do you? By the way, if you have a tendency to talk first and listen second, you have two ears and one mouth. Listen. Don't give quaint Christian advice. Just listen. Ask questions. What was that like? Gee, that sounds tough. What did you do then? That's what, and that, if you feel, I told you about this, um, Joe Bailey, a view from a hearse. He was a father lost a couple kids in a car accident. Imagine that. And so he's, he's sitting at the funeral of his children. And he talks about different individuals at the wake, I think it was. Different individuals came up to him, and one quoted this thing from the Psalms about God must have a special purpose for you. And to give you this suffering, he really must be doing something wonderful in your life. And Joe Bailey describes how he really wanted this person to leave. Just couldn't wait for them to go, and they left, thankfully. Somebody else came and talked about happy God thoughts. and He wanted that person to leave. Then this person came. sat quietly with him. Sat with him. They said, Can I pray for you? Prayed simply. And then Joe Bailey said, I hated to see that person leave. Be that person. Be that person. When you come up with somebody in struggle, listen. Listen to them. If you're going to pray for them, pray simply. Don't go on. Just that's Makes him feel less alone. That's, Satan divides us. Um, Peter, and look what else it says. Last thing. Peter says, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered for a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. You know what else Satan would do? Not to push you into thinking that you're alone, but push you into thinking that you'll always be alone. God was never going to come and help you. How in the world can he help somebody like you? who deals with the things you deal with. God's never going to come and help you. That's what he'll... And so to stand firm is no. 
this is tough now, but it won't be tough forever. And that's what Peter learned. Um, it isn't hard for us to imagine Peter's grief. Can you imagine that on the far side of the crucifixion? Where Peter goes out and weeps bitterly. Jesus is brought to trial. John is in the vicinity. John is at, with Jesus when he's being crucified. Where's Peter? Not there. Can you see Peter? Wherever he is. We don't know where he is. I'll tell you one thing though. He's alone. He's alone. And then he hears the news. From Mary. There were wraps in the tomb and Jesus was gone. So John and Peter take off. John is a faster runner. He gets there first. But Peter is the one who runs inside. And he looks. And he doesn't know what to think about it yet. There is a conversation that happens that we're only told in one place. Two or three very simple words This tells me such things about Jesus, though, about God, and the way he asks what it says. But what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, And that he appeared to Peter. And then to the twelve. I would have loved to have been in that room. You know the difference between Judas and Peter? It's that conversation. Jesus had a conversation with Peter. He ends up coming away feeling more strong and firm and steadfast. Why? Because he was no longer alone. You know that God wants you to talk with him because he doesn't want you to be alone? Do you understand that? He does not want you to be alone. And maybe that's part of the reason that these three words were inserted in this text, that Jesus went and sought Peter out. Would Jesus seek you out? Does he want that type of connection with you? He does. Do we need that connection? Absolutely we do. Absolutely we do. Conversation turned Peter back to the others and enabled him to become strong, firm, and steadfast. You know what it enabled him to do? Help others. Some of you are in a position where you're pretty good at coming alongside people. I can say something about you. You've suffered. People who have a tendency to reach out to others do so because their hands are wounded. Do you agree with that? The people that are the gentlest, 
the easiest to talk to are those who have had struggles. They don't throw, well, you should have done this or that. They understand that people struggle. Jesus had planned this all along. He said, I pray for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Come on up, worship team. We're going to close this. Um, he didn't, Jesus didn't say, if you turn back. He said, when you've turned back. Here's what we tend to do. Tune out. We tune in to self. We get more isolated. We turn from God. And for some of us, we think that that's where things stop. If you've turned from him or you're in the... Turn around and look back on him because this is where to turn back. You can't turn back on your own. He seeks you out. Jesus, like he sought Peter out. A conversation. You connect with him. And, and then the thing Peter went through, the sifting became the very reason why he was able to come alongside others. That's the way God does things. I thank you for um, examples of people in the Bible who are like us. They argue about who's the greatest when they hear sad news. They, they think they can do it all and they crash. And you understand that. You move toward them. You understand these things happen. In fact, you use them to create usability. I guess I'd ask that you would help us to connect with you where we are and as we are. To fight the tendency to be isolated and to move towards isolated places. You say that you'll never leave us, never forsake us. You'll never cast us adrift. That you'll never leave us behind. I pray that we'd be able to believe that so that we could come towards you when we feel frightened and alone. And experiencing that, have something to be able to give others who feel frightened and alone as well. In Jesus' name, amen.